You're listening to the Mount Pleasant Podcast. To learn more about our church, visit us online at www.mpbc.church. We hope today's message encourages and inspires you. Turning your Bibles this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I want you to take a look at this picture, and can you tell me, you've got to kind of be Mount Pleasant, folks, but can you tell me where this is? Yeah, that's behind the church. And do you remember? It seems like it's been forever, but there's a sign. Let's get a close-up of the sign. Yeah, future home of the Mount Pleasant Baptist Church playground. Let me give you some news. We've been blessed. We had a $25,000 contribution that came in, and we are thankful to say to you that uh, we have raised 53000 of the 62000 for the playground. That's enough to order it. So we're in the process of ordering the playground, and um, it should be uh, installed by the end of July, middle of August, um, depending on the weather. But we, we're excited about that. And we believe that uh, the remaining 9000 that uh, we need for that, we can raise between now and then. So I'm excited. I'm excited for our kids that they're going to have something really cool to play on uh, when we come back. Now, one of the things that's really neat, too, is we've been having to price fences because we're going to have to put a fence around it, and then we're going to put a fence in the middle of it that, that kind of separates the smaller area from the larger, the 5 to 12-year-old from the, the smaller kids area. And I had a man text me last night and said the Lord had laid on his heart to pay for the fence, whatever it costs. Hallelujah. God is good. So, the only other thing that I know of that we need is mulch. And we need good mulch. And it's got to be like nine inches deep, okay? And it's got to be that double ground stuff so it won't hurt the kids' feet when they flip off their flip-flops and run barefooted. So, maybe you have uh, some access to mulch or you want to donate, uh, who knows, it could be three to $4,000 worth of mulch. But maybe you have, uh, the Lord might put that on your heart to help with that. But we're excited. And, I, and I, if you haven't given to the playground, uh, then make a contribution, and that'll be great. You can do that via the app, or you can do that online, and there's a little tab that drops down that says Playground, and uh, we can get this done for the kids, and that'll be awesome when they come back. Now, this morning, speaking of children, let me ask you this question as we begin. Do you like to be scolded? No. I mean, who does, right? But aren't there times when we need it? Jesus said, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten or chastise. A good father or mother chastens their children when they get out of line, right? Right. The Corinthian church had gotten out of line, big time. The entire church had broken up into groups, little factions, cliques. And the Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul, is scolding them for being so immature. Paul, through the Holy Spirit, actually tells them, you're acting like babies. You're still on the milk. You're following the pagan culture of Corinth, and you've adopted the culture's worldview. And thus, the culture was having a greater impact upon the church members at Corinth than the church members were on the culture. Sounds like today. The culture 
has so much impact on us as followers of Christ and that we just blend in with the world. There's nothing any different about us. We're not, we're not different in any way. The Bible says we're to be a peculiar people. It means we don't look and act like everybody else. The Apostle Paul has had to once again point them back to the foundation. Who is our foundation? Who is our rock? Jesus Christ. And he's reminded them that they must build on him and not the stuff of this world. Because if we build on the stuff of this world, which is going to pass away, one day when we stand before Jesus and we pile that stuff up, it's all going to burn. We saw that last week. Now, church family, I believe we can sum up the entire sordid mess that's going on in Corinth with just one word, pride. Pride. I believe pride is involved in every issue that's plaguing the church at Corinth, particularly all these little groups they've broken into. Well, I follow Paul, and I follow Apollos, and I follow Peter. Pride. This morning's message is entitled, Pride Versus Humility. You've made your way to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Jump down with me at verse number 18. We're going to read through verse 23, and then we'll move into chapter 4. The Bible says, Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly or foolishness with God. For it is written, He catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile. So let no one boast in men. Now watch this, because they've broken into factions, right? For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, of course that's Peter, or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours, and you are Christ, and Christ is God's. Can you see the pride? Paul is pointing out again, some are saying they're following Paul, some Peter, some Apollos. They're boasting. They're prideful people. Now, this brings us to chapter 4, and we go deeper with this. So watch, verse 4, chapter 4, verse 1. This is how we should regard, this is how one should regard us, rather, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. Paul is speaking of himself now, and he's talking about the fact that the, the people in Corinth are trying to offer judgments on him. He said, in fact, I do not even judge myself, for I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I'm not, that I'm not thereby acquitted. You know, Paul would often say, my conscience is clear. He's in essence saying that here. He said, it is the Lord who judges me. Verse 5, therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time before the Lord comes who will bring to light the things that are now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation, or that's his praise, from God. Verse 6, I've applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up, that's pride, puffed up in favor of one against another. For who sees anything different in you? 
What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Verse 8, already you have all you want. Now watch the exclamation points that come. Are you watching? Already you have become rich, exclamation point. Without us you have become kings, exclamation point. By the way, are you noticing some sarcasm here? And would that you did reign so that we might should share that reign with you, exclamation point. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools, verse 10, for Christ's sake. Oh, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak. Oh, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour, Paul says, we hunger and we thirst. He said, we're poorly dressed. He said, we're knocked around and homeless, and we labor working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. That means to encourage. We have become and are still like the scum of the world and the rubbish, the refuse of all things. Church family, what we saw right there at the end of chapter 3 and through those first 13 verses of chapter 4 can be summed up in one word. I'll say it again, pride. In fact, if you read 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, you'll find that really that word sums up the, the whole deal and the reason Paul had to write to them. Pride. They were puffed up. Now church, if you know anything about the Bible and you've studied it for any time at all, you know that really the basis for all sin can be summed up in that same word, pride. Pride is thinking that we know better than God. Pride is rebellion against God. It's what Adam and Eve did in the garden. Rebellion. Rebellion against God amounts to me setting my will against His will. I think I know better than God, so I'll take the fruit, or I'll get ahead of God, and I'll have relations with a, a girlfriend outside of marriage. I, I think I know better. I don't care what you say. Pride. Isn't that what happened to Lucifer? You know Lucifer. Who was he? Right? Guardian angel around the throne of God. What happened to him? Pride. And, and you know what's interesting? That pride created division in heaven too, right? We've got division in Corinth. Well, we had division in heaven. Because God called a little meeting and he says, there's only one sheriff in town and it's me. And so if you want to go with Lucifer, he's out of here. And so God kicked him out of heaven. And a third of the angels went with him. How about that? The Apostle Paul is tasked here with dealing with pride. Pride's been an issue from the beginning, folks. Paul is going to speak to them through the Holy Spirit very sternly. He's going to scold them. But remember, Jesus said, as many as I love, if you're one of mine... I will rebuke you, and I will scold you when you get out of line. 
And, and so here we're going to begin this passage by seeing that Paul is going to remind them of who they are and how they're supposed to be acting. Watch this now. Look back at verse 1. 1 Corinthians 4 verse 1. This is how one should regard us. He said, we're servants of Christ. It's like he's saying, have you forgotten that? And we're stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found what? Faithful. That word steward, I looked it up. In the Greek, it's one word, but it means two words in the English language. It means galley slave. You say, galley slave, what is that? But let, me sh let me show you a picture. Take a look at this. That's a galley slave. That's actually Charlton Heston playing the part of Ben-Hur in the movie Ben-Hur. See, a galley slave was stuck in the bottom of a boat, and they were the engine. They were the power, and they all had to row together. And if you couldn't row or wouldn't row, they would pull you out and kill you and throw your body overboard. It stunk down in the bottom of the ship. They would urinate and defecate right where they sat and row for hours upon hours. And that's what Paul said we are to this world. We're the galley slaves. We row and we're faithful whatever condition we're placed in. We do the hard work for Christ. Let me ask you something. If you're an employer, what's the hardest kind of employee to find? I would argue a faithful one. One that you can trust, that you don't have to keep your eye on all the time. Right? Do you know that God wants us to be a faithful servant, galley slave? Someone he can trust, someone he can hand something to and know that they will take care of it and use it rightly. We saw that last week. That we, that we build up treasures that won't burn one day for him. So I'll ask you today, can God trust you? Can he trust you to live for him and his kingdom? You ever given something to somebody that, that you valued a lot? Maybe you turned over the car keys to somebody, and you're like, oh man, I hope they don't wreck this thing. I'm just not sure. Can God trust us? You know, He's given you talents, He's given you abilities, and He's given those things to you for His glory. Remember, if you live for his kingdom, you'll be building with gold and silver and precious stones, and that will last. But if you're not, if, you're, if you use your talents and gifts and abilities just for yourself, well, let me tell you, that's wood, hay, and straw. You're not living for the kingdom of God, but for the kingdom of me. And those works will burn. And Paul reminds us that one day we're going to stand before Jesus, and he's the judge. That's verse 3. Watch this. Jesus will be the judge, no one else. See it? But with me, Paul says, it's a very small thing. He says that I should be judged by you Corinthians. He said, or by any, any other human being for that matter, in anybody else's court. In fact, he says, I don't even judge myself, for I'm not aware of anything that I've done 
that my conscience would be convicted of, but I am not thereby acquitted because it is the Lord who judges me. Jesus is the judge, church. And Paul, in essence, is saying, I know that some of you Corinthians have been talking about me. <laughs> Paul's in Ephesus. He's been gone for four and a half years. And as the old saying goes, his ears are burning. You ever heard that old saying, when your ears are burning, somebody's talking about you? Church, can I be honest with you? You'll probably talk about me in about mm, 45 minutes. And you'll critique the message, right? Yeah, he wasn't on today, or it was good, or it wasn't good, or... I understand what that's like. Being a pastor sometimes, as far as being critiqued, is almost as bad as being a politician. You know, when you're in the public eye and you speak a lot like I do, you're going to get critiqued a lot. That's just the way it goes. And sometimes that critique is not fair. Sometimes you're judged on a different scale than the person who is willing to judge themselves on the scale they've made for you. And you know how that feels. You've been on both sides of that, and so have I. It's, it, listen, it's so easy for me to be judgmental and to place somebody else on my little system that I'm not willing to place myself under. That's what Paul was talking about. I'll have to admit to you, church, I don't want you to judge me as not doing a good job. I, I want you to look at what I'm doing, even in these crazy circumstances, and go, you know, Pastor Kevin, he's doing a good job. But I almost feel like, can I be honest with you, this is not even in my notes. I, I, it's like I don't even know how y'all are doing, most of you. I, 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 how am I supposed to shepherd a flock that I never see? This, this, has been, this, is, this is the 10th service like this. It's, it's hard. It's hard for you. You want to be here too. You know, I can say that I don't care what people think about me, but in my flesh I do. And so do you. I want to have people say you're doing a good job, and so do you. But we can't allow our innate desire to be liked and be told we're doing a good job to keep us from being faithful. Because sometimes, a lot of times in this culture, when you're being faithful to Jesus, you're not going to be liked by the world. And you've got to get okay with that, especially our young people. Young people, you've got to get okay with not fitting in the crowd. The world is not walking the same way Jesus is. the opposite. Paul goes even further. He says, I don't want you to judge me, but he says, I don't even want to judge myself because even my evaluation can be off. I mean, isn't that true of us? I mean, it's so, it's, don't we give ourselves a pass? Don't we justify and don't we Reconciling our own minds why we do what we do. So why do you cuss? Mm-hmm. You. Why are you cussing? You're a child of God. Why have you let your mouth go? 
Hmm? Why, why are you watching that? You know it's wrong. Why, why have you started cheating? We're children of God, and yet we can come to the place our consciences can be seared. We begin to rationalize and justify, and our evaluation of ourselves we can't even be faithful to ourselves. And so we must have the Holy Spirit to shine the light on us, to speak the truth. Pastor Dale and I had a Zoom conversation with a man on Friday morning. And the man said he wanted us to pray for him. And we did. You know what he said, you know what he said to us? He said, brothers, I want you to speak truth into my life. Could you say that to somebody? Could you say to somebody, sir, maybe your wife, could you say to her, honey, would you speak truth into my life? What is it that I'm doing in my life right now that's not of God? Would you speak truth to me? It's not easy, is it? But yet we're to admonish one another in love. And that's the point. Paul is admonishing the Christians to turn back to the Lord Jesus and see Him as the cornerstone and as the rock and to quit making these factions and these little cliques and these little groups and setting and pitting one another against each other. Look at verse 5. Paul says, Therefore do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things that are now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his praise from God. Church, one day everything is going to be brought out into the light. Everything that people have tried to hide, conceal, cover up, seek to deceive, it's all going to be brought into the light. You know, we can deceive a lot of people, but not the Lord. And, and please don't let that scare you because, see, a lot of times we'll, we'll, we'll say, well, you know, you can't hide there from God. And so it's like we're walking around scared. You know how I see this? You know how I see this? L let, me ask you, let me ask you this. Will Jesus ever leave us or forsake us? No. So, so, so we have security in Jesus, right? Yes. That means that he is watching over us. He sees everything we do, and I'm good with that. But in being good with having that kind of security also means, yes, He is watching me, and I should seek to serve and to honor Him, to please Him, right? Paul makes this personal in verse 6. He says, I have applied all these things to myself and to Apollos. See, Apollos was the pastor that came in after Paul established the church. He says, I'm doing this for your benefit. He says, I'm describing these things for you that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. Oh, the Corinthians were pitting Paul's abilities against the abilities of Apollos. 
You know what Paul was saying here? He said, well, I'm going to tell you something, Corinthian church. He's writing this back to them. He's in Ephesus, and this letter's come back, and there's an elder standing there reading this letter. And you know what Paul is saying to the church at Corinth? Apollos and I are not taking the bait. We are not going to allow ourselves to be pitted against each other. Because that's what they were wanting to do. Paul says, your only judgment should be based on the Word of God. You say, where do you get that? Verse 6, it says, do not go beyond what is written. Listen, our lives are to be guided by this book. This Bible is a lamp to our feet and it's a light to our path. There's so much darkness in this world and we're all groping around blind. This is our flashlight. Pull it out. Read it. Paul says, don't go beyond what is written. Oh, and they were, because they all had their opinions. Don't you love opinions? It's been said most people have at least two. They're like armpits, and most of the time they stink. Ha ha. Paul is saying, stop making assessments. Use the Bible as your guide, not your opinions. And he says, if you don't, you're going to get puffed up. Now, you know me, I looked it up to see what puffed up meant. And this is what puffed up means. I can show you a picture. That's what it means. Blah. Blah. It's a blow frog. A puffed up blow frog. He said to the Corinthians, that's what you look like. Kind of silly, isn't it? It's written in the present tense, so it means stop being puffed up. He says, you're puffed up right now. Church family, it's okay to be thankful for a spiritual leader. It's okay for you to be thankful for me or Pastor Brad or Pastor Dale. But don't pit us against someone else well like the kid at the playground my daddy's stronger than your daddy well my preacher's better than your preacher my church is better than your church that's exactly what they were doing here and it's wrong you know this week pastor brad and pastor dale and i we had a meeting with uh, several local pastors they came up here this past wednesday and we met in our conference room over in the other building. And we're talking about how to get back, right? And we're putting plans in place on how to do that. Now look, we have been talking to the deacons, worked on this all last week. We've got a lot of stuff that we're putting in place. And then this court ruling came out yesterday, right? Afternoon about, the, you know, that against the governor's uh, resolution that, you know, that churches can now meet, you know, for more than 10. Just, you know, you, you know, try to follow, you know, proper protocols and all that. So, so, so now it's like my phone blew up last night. Are we going back tomorrow? Are we going back in? Look. We, we, we had a plan that we were going to announce to you next Sunday, but now nah, we're going to talk. We're going to have a staff meeting in the morning. We're going to talk, and we're going to kind of see where we're headed. But here's the point that I want you to, here's, where, here's the point I want you to see. I was sitting in that conference room over there with these other brothers, and there were half a dozen pastors sitting there. And I, and I looked at them at one point, and I said, guys, this is what we should be doing all along. 
locking arms together as pastors. You know so often churches pit each other against one another and there's jealousy? Because one church is succeeding and other church is not. That is so wrong! We're all God's children. That's like you pitting one child against another. When you drive by a church going to town or wherever you are, you pray for that church. And when they succeed, then you rejoice. We rejoice. We got some wonderful pastors in this county. And yes, we are going to be coming back. And we're going to put protocols in place. And we're going to be safe. And we're going to do all that. And we'll let you know some things as the week goes on. You see, the Corinthians were puffed up like those big old blow frogs. And Paul says, you're to be thankful but not boastful. And you remember to where, you're to remember where all of your gifts and blessings come from. That's verse 7, watch it. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Church family, right here are three simple questions in verse 7. And they have three simple answers. Number one, who made you better than anyone else? Answer, no one. Question two, what do you have that you didn't get from somebody else? Answer, nothing. You say, what are you talking about? And I'll ask you this, did you come into this world with anything? No. Naked you came into this world, naked you'll leave it. You were born and had nothing to do with it. You didn't even have anything to do with where you were born or to whom you were born. You got that in your mind? You do understand you could have been born in Zimbabwe. Nothing wrong with that. I'm just saying that you might not have been born in America. But you were. You say, well, I've earned everything I've got. Let me tell you something. You can't even take that next breath unless God gives it to you. Hear my phone? It's 1031, so I'm going to pray. You ready? Lord Jesus, I pray for our frontline workers, hospital workers, our policemen and women, firemen and women, um, our postal workers, people that are serving food to folks. Um, Lord, just all the various people, Lord, that, that are making things go right now. Lord, I pray that you'll take away this virus. We continue. And Lord, I believe that, that slowly but surely this is happening before our eyes. I pray, Father, that you will not give us, Lord, I know you haven't, but that we will not have a spirit of fear. But, but, but of love and a sound mind, Lord. I pray, Father, we'd look to you. I pray for spiritual, supernatural wisdom to be given to our leaders. And Lord, that you'll continue to guide us out of this thing. Lord, we thank you for what you're doing. It's hard to say that, but we do. We thank you that you're in control. And we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, I know it's easy to think that all that we have, we've earned or somehow... You know, we're intelligent enough. You know, God gave you your intelligence. You have nothing to do. I mean, you can work and you can learn, but you've got a certain level of intelligence that God has given to you. Deuteronomy 8.18 says, You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you power to get wealth. Don't ever forget that. It could be gone just like that. If you don't think things can change on a dime, just look at our world. Hmm? Could you have imagined 
two and a half months ago that we would have had ten Sundays where we're not together in church. What could possibly do that? A virus. Things can change in a hurry. You know, the Bible says in James chapter 1, verse 17, every good and every perfect gift is from God, from above, the Father of lights. The Lord's blessed us tremendously, church. Wouldn't you say that? Haven't you been blessed? You know, and there's no reason for us boasting in that. Everything we have is a blessing from God. We should simply look to heaven and give Him praise. I was, I was thinking that as we were singing this morning. You are good, good, oh, right? You are good, good. Isn't He good? And, and, and how often is He going to let us down? Remember? You're never going to let, never going to let me, what? Down. He won't. Isn't that good to be reminded of that? Think of the song we sing, Goodness of God. Do you see what the Holy Spirit is doing through the Apostle Paul here? What has he done? Can I be blunt? The Holy Spirit has now stripped these Corinthians naked. He's taken everything that they could possibly say, look at what I've done! And he stripped them. The Holy Spirit has left them naked before the Lord so that they can face their pride. You say, well, the job has been done. No, it hasn't. Now they're going to get a lecture. That ever happened to you? Remember being a kid? Maybe there's kid, there are kids watching. You, you kind of think that dad's done. And another thing. And another thing. And you're just like, oh, Lord, when's he going to be done? It's coming. You ready? Watch verse 8. Watch this. Paul begins to use sarcasm here. Now remember, this is divinely inspired. Remember I talked to you about the exclamation points? This is dripping with sarcasm. Watch verse 8. Already you, Corinthians, you have all you want. Already, oh, you Corinthians are rich without us. Oh, yeah, you didn't need us. Nah, you're already kings. And would that you did reign as a king so that we might, this is how it's worded in the Greek, so that we might crawl up to you and see if we might share the reign with you. Can you see the sarcasm? He says you have all you want. In the Greek that literally means they're gorged from a huge meal. You had one of those lately? You're like, I cannot eat another bite. They were gorged in their pride. Paul says you act like kings. You think you're filthy rich. You know what I thought of? Some of you are thinking it. The church at Laodicea, right? The church that thought they were rich. You know the church that Jesus said, I'll vomit you out of my mouth. Here, here's what Jesus said to the church at Laodicea. He says, Revelation 3, 17, for you say I am rich. See, Jesus is doing the same thing, right? You say I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, you are pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Jesus said that. Sounds similar to what Paul is saying under the inspiration of the Spirit to the Corinthians, right? You know, it's been said there's nobody as poor as the man who thinks he has it all. You know anybody like that? 
so smug and so pompous. Nobody is as poor as the man who thinks he has it all. There's more fuel to the fire. You say we're not done. No, we get and another thing. You're ready for verse 9 here. And another thing. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles, Paul says, as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world and to the angels. The angels are, there are angels watching right now what we do. And to men, people are watching us. I want you to take a look at this painting. Take a look at this painting. Looks like a parade, doesn't it? Well, that's exactly what it is. You know what that's called? That's called the Triumph, capital T, Triumph. It's what the Roman army would do after they won a victory. The Roman general would lead his army back into the city of Rome, and they would parade as victorious. It's kind of like our tick, ticker tape parade. It was a way in which the general could show off his troops and bask in the glory of victory. But way in the back of that parade line, back there past all of those columns and columns and columns of soldiers, were the captives being led along in chains. And these are the captives that still had some life in them. The ones that were weak, the ones that were maimed, in the battle, they were killed on the spot. But these captives, they're brought back in. You say, why? So they could be used as spectacles. You know what would happen in Rome? After the Roman general brought his army back through the streets, all of the people of Rome would go gather into the Colosseum, the big arena. And they would bring those captives in. And you know what they would do? They would sit them out there and then release a lion. And the lion would make sport of that captive. Or they would pit a couple of them together and they would fight like gladiators to the death while the Romans cheered and watched and thirsted for blood. And the Apostle Paul says, that's who we are. We're the captives in the back while you Corinthians are acting like the generals in front. You're so full of yourself. Watch verse 10. This is such sharp language. He says, we are fools for Christ's sake. Oh, but you're wise in Christ. He's being sarcastic. We are weak. Oh, but you are strong. You are held in high honor, but we in disrepute. And then Paul reminds them, he said, to this present hour, he said, I'm hungry. He said, I'm thirsty. He said, I I'm poorly dressed. He's got holes in his clothes. He said, I'm beaten around. He said, in essence, I'm homeless. And he says, and we labor, working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we encourage. We have become and are still like what? scum of the earth. We are the garbage of all things. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, we're to bless people when they curse us, and we're to endure it when they persecute us, and we're to be kind when we're slandered. That's what Paul was saying. 
And Paul says, because of it, we're the scum of the world. You know that phrase, scum of the world, it's a compound phrase. In the Greek, it's made up of the preposition around and the verb to wipe. Around to wipe. You know what I thought of? You ready to be grossed out? <laughs> what is one of the nastiest things that you can think of? Do you know what I thought of? I thought of a truck stop toilet. Would you want to clean one of those toilets? And it's that crusty stuff that's under the rim of the toilet. You say, that's gross. That's what Paul says. That's how the world sees us. The world sees us as that crusty black brown scum underneath the rim of the toilet bowl. And you got to get okay with that. Scum of the earth. Are you standing for the kingdom? You know, it takes humility to be a Christian, to turn the other cheek, to walk the second mile. You know, it's easy to get along in this world if you don't speak the truth. But boy, when you start hitting the world with the truth, you're going to get a reaction. And it's usually not pleasant because the world doesn't want to hear the truth. And since Satan is the god of this world, church family, he's the prince of this age, he's got the whole world system working on his methods. And he won't tolerate the word of God, nor will the world. And thus somebody who boldly proclaims the word of truth is going to be set apart. And they're going to be sent to the back of the line. And they're going to say, treat those people like captives. Put them in chains. They're toilet bowl scum. Pride versus humility. As we close this morning, remember what Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29? Take my yoke upon you. See it? And learn from me, for I am gentle, and see that next phrase, lowly in heart. What does that mean? Humble. And you will find rest for your souls. Pastor Dale prayed this in his prayer this morning. Philippians 2 speaks this about Jesus in verse 7. Jesus emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Now listen, he didn't empty himself of his deity. But he took off the royal robes and he went from the palace to this earth. Being born, you see it, in the likeness of men. Verse 8, and being found like us in human form, he humbled himself, humbled himself, humbled himself. He's not a puffed up blowfrog. By becoming obedient to the point of death, even death, not with a bullet to the head, that would have been easy. Death on a cross. Excruciating. Think of that. Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, choosing to take off his royal robes, choosing to leave heaven and come down here into the muck and the mire and our sin. He who knew no sin became sin. And what did we do? We forsook him. We denied him. We spit on him, 
Humanity mocked him, whipped him, and nailed him with iron spikes to pieces of wood. Nailing a man to pieces of wood to put him on display. A spectacle. Jesus was not born in a palace. We were singing it earlier. He came to a cradle in the dirt. Jesus had nothing in this life. In fact, at the end of his life, he was, in essence, homeless. He was poor. Isaiah says he was despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows. Acquainted with grief. And yet in total humility, Jesus was willing to stoop with a towel and a basin of water and wash our feet. He would have washed your feet. You say he washed the disciples' feet. He would have washed your feet. Don't ever forget, he washed Judas's feet. He was willing to die like a common criminal, suffering our reproach, suffering for my sin, for your sin. The one who was sinless, taking what should have been my separation from God, he took it himself. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why would he do that? Because he loves you. That's why he did it. He loves you. Are you listening? Listen, quit moving around if you're moving around. Listen to me. Lock in on that screen. Jesus loves you. You. He died for you. He became a spectacle for you. He went to the back of the line and took your place. He took my place in the back of the line so that one day we would be kings. Because remember, we are going to worship the king of kings. Who are the kings? We are. He became a spectacle so we wouldn't have to. We're not to be proud. We're to be humble and to realize we're nothing except for the kindness and goodness of Jesus. And that's why we sing. You ever wonder why we sing the different songs that we sing? Doesn't Pastor Brad do a great job picking these songs out? Praise the Father. Praise the Son. Praise the Spirit. Do you feel the Spirit of God? Three in one. God of glory, what? Majesty, praise forever to the King of kings. Bow with me. Father in heaven, thank you for sending Jesus, Jesus. Thank you for taking off your royal robes and coming to the muck and mire of this earth to be my spectacle. You took my place in the back of the parade. You took my chains and you set me on a white horse and you said, Kevin, go right in front. I cannot fathom that.
I'm not worthy of that. I will never get over that. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. I pray for those who are watching today, Lord. It's so hard in this way, Lord. I know it's through a screen, and you don't even know whether to look at the screen or have your eyes closed. I get that. I'm smiling with you. Should I watch the screen? Should I bow my head and close my eyes? It doesn't matter. Oh, call on Jesus. Please, I, I know it's weird. I, I, if you were here, I would say, go to the back of the room and let's talk after the service, but I, I can't do that. So would you, click, would you click the button there and let us help you? Let us show you what it means to be set free and to ride in the front of the parade, Jesus' parade. If you feel bound up and chained up, that's not for you. That's not for you. Jesus took that for you. And you're taking stuff that you shouldn't be taking. And you can be set free. And you say, I don't know how. Listen, it's simple. You lay it all down. Whatever it is that you've built in your life that you're trying to use to, to find joy and happiness is going to all leave you empty except for Jesus. So call on Him. Call on His name and be saved. Thank you for joining us for today's message. Find us at www.mpbc.church and on Facebook at facebook.com mpbcnc. Have a great day, and we hope you'll join us again next week.